0: Welcome to the Comics Misremembered podcast with your hosts Jim and John. And here's the opening music. My name is Jan Jansen. I come from Wisconsin. I work in the lumber works there. When I walk down the street, the people I meet say,
1: What is your name? And I say, My name is Jan Jansen. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Comics Misremembered, the comics podcast where we talk about comics and comic-related items. Uh, this week, we're uh, talking about a comic adaptation, and I'm excited about the comic adaptation because it's an adaptation of a, a literary novel and one that um, I've, I'm have i fond of called Slaughterhouse-Five. And uh, so if you follow our social media, you saw I posted about that. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about the adaptation And um, so let's get into it. Uh, I'm Jim. And I'm John. And together we're Comics Misremembered. And if you're the first time you've listened to this podcast, well, we usually play a little game at the beginning of the podcast. I select a piece of music that's relevant to the topic at hand, in this case, Slaughterhouse-Five. And um, John, who doesn't know what music I've selected, likes to take a guess at who the artist and the song title is. And I told him before the podcast, this is going to be a tough one. He
0: gave me a warning saying that there was a very good chance that I would absolutely have no clue about it. Right. And as usual
1: He uh, well, was right. Well, let me so do you have any guess as to what the title or the artist is?
0: Is it Jan Jansen?
1: It's Jan Jansen is the name of the song and
0: I have no idea who that is.
1: Okay. So it's it's um like a kids band. Uh the guy the band's name is Ralph's World. Like you know um what's like another famous kids like the the Wiggles? Okay something like that. Yeah. Ralph's world it's and Jan Jansen is kind of like that kind of a traditional folk song. Yeah. But it's been interpreted by many, many people in different ranges. This one for me felt like it was the best fit for the topic at hand. And um the reason why I picked Jan Janssen is um I don't think it's in the adaptation, but in the book, um Kurt Vonnegut Jr., who wrote the original Slaughterhouse Five in the beginning of the book, um, describes about how he wants to write a book about his memories about being in World War II. Yes. And he says it's, it's kind of foggy, I can't quite remember it, and um, and it seems when I try to do it, it's kind of like hazy, and it's like that song, my name is Jan Janssen, I come from Wisconsin. And the reason why he says it is because the song is, is uh, repetitive and, and recursive. Uh, it's what alliterative and, and repetitive. No, no, it's just repetitive yeah. and recursive. Meaning he keeps trying to remember okay, it, but yeah. it's the same thing over and over again. He he has no new, and but also that fits with also kind of the theme of the book of Billy Pilgrim too, and um, meaning that it doesn't quite make sense, but it's you're kind of stuck in that loop, um, like a time loop almost, almost. So, so the. Uh, the podcast number, I, I always like to say the podcast number, too. I, f- I forgot to say it at the top of the podcast. But it's podcast 280. 280. 280. Yes, I, I thought there was a number at the end there. And I and then I was like, no, that's wrong. It's 280. um, So 280. So thank you uh, for listening. And again, if you are listening to this podcast through some kind of podcast source, um, please do leave a comment. Uh, rate the podcast if you like. Uh, We don't care what you rate it, just as long as you rate it, because that gets more people listening to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'll get off my soapbox now. We'll start talking about Slaughterhouse-Five. Now, as I mentioned, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. is the original writer of the novel Slaughterhouse-Five. And Slaughterhouse-Five is one of those books that, um, if you check to say, like, your top 100 books of all time, literary award-winning lists of the top 50... Slaughterhouse Five yeah, shows up on that.
0: It's one of those ones that it's a book that either you were some point, at some point in time mandated to read, yes. or suggested to read, or cajoled to read, or basically told you're an idiot if you didn't read it. <laughs>
1: right, and um, but it it basically um, was a book that they assigned in high school. So one of those many books that you would read through high school. And this is, gets to the point of the story that I'm going to be telling ah, uh, and okay. my my experience with Slaughterhouse-Five. I So I went through high school. I read required reading that they assigned, but Slaughterhouse-Five was never one of those books. In fact, a lot of the books, like uh, also 1984 was like another one, that I didn't read, Brave New World, and all these books I never read in high school. They're, they weren't the books that they assigned. I got more of like... William Shakespeare, you know, Macbeth kind of, right. that kind of reading, but it got n- not a lot of modern, like kill a, To Kill a Mockingbird would be like something that I read in high school. Right. Right.
0: You, so, so you, trust me, you weren't on the uh, Cry of the Beloved Country or anything like that?
1: No. So, so this is what I did is I, in my mid-twenties, I'm fresh out of college, and, but I'm still, it's summertime and I'm still craving something, something to do. I still want to keep kind of that um, um, academic kind of schedule and t- always want to try to teach myself something new, be creative, something like that. So what I decided to do one summer right out of college is I'm going to go down to the bookstore because bookstores were a thing back then. Yes. this is Again, this is in my 20s. I'm not going to tell you how old I am now, but it was a while ago. <laughs> so I went to the bookstore, and when you go to the bookstore... This is like when you'd go into the bookstore, they'd have a table right as soon as you go, especially if you went to like a Walden's Books or um, – Oh,
0: my God. You're so dating yourself. Yeah, I know. Mm.
1: I yeah, a, a big like, – Reading International. Yeah. What's another um, – Barnes & Nobles. Yes. Barnes & Noble still exist. Borders. Yeah. So you'd go in there and they'd have a book table right there and it says summer reading. And it'd have like The Handmaid's Tale on there and like all those other books that I mentioned before. And I said to myself I'm going to pick up 3 of these books. I'm going to read 3 of these books I've never read in my life. One of these books happens to be Slaughterhouse 5. And um it was my also my first exposure to Kurt Vonnegut Jr. I didn't read any of his stuff prior to that too. And of course I consume I love it's fun. If you've never read a Kurt Vonnegut Jr. book um it's it's like the the most easiest kind of book to get into. It's like talking. Reading it is like talking to somebody. It's like listening to this podcast where somebody's just explaining something to you, and you're going to give you the gist of it, and there's not going to be a lot of great detail, and there's going to be some humor thrown into it occasionally, if we're lucky, right? <laughs> and um, and and then you get to the end of the book, and you're like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed that. That's what I really like the style of Kurt Vonnegut Jr. So. That was my first exposure to it. Of course, I would go on. I, w- I don't haven't read like every single thing that Kurt Vonnegut Jr. put out, but I, I've read a few of the books like uh, Breakfast of Champions and um, Galapagos and Cat's Cradle. I love Cat's Cradle, too. So that was my experience with it. So I asked John. Yes. Is there anything that you would like to share with the class? Yes. And he said he did have something. I did have a story, which is my—, my ex- me, I'll, I'll give you the—there you go. I forgot to do that for myself. Back to a small John
0: Yes, when I was much younger. Um, so my first experience with uh, Kurt Vonnegut was actually a, a title that you mentioned in in passing, which was Galapagos. Yes, and I loved Galapagos. And the person who gave me that said, "You haven't read two books that you need to read, and you probably and I want you to, and I'd like you to read them. You know, and and read them back to back. Okay. And the first one was Joseph Heller's Catch Twenty Two. Okay. And the other one was slaughterhouse five by Mm -hmm. Kurt Vonnegut and the person who um, told me that I needed to read this was my sophomore philosophy teacher who was very insulted by the fact that I didn't I hadn't read um, that I hadn't read it he was like how can you have these ideas that you have in your head without having read these books these are sort of sort of existential books that you know are you know kind of fit with your core, you know some of your you know some of your basic beliefs, and you haven't even read them. So I was like, well, I don't understand about that. And then I, which but I'll explain. But as through this conversation, you'll we'll, we'll get into the the meat of why he
1: suggested it for
0: me. Yeah. So that was my um, that was my experience with it.
1: Oh, okay. I, so I get what you're saying. So as we talk about the 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 adaptation and yeah. talk about the characters, more of the story is going to come out. Yeah, I think okay.
0: especially one of the good things about this is that I was at the, you know, at the time he would, you know, I was, I was one of those mad book devourers, you know, and, you know, it's like, and I, you know, I would come in with a book, you know, like every couple of days I would have, I would have a new book that I had gotten, you know, you know, and I read a huge amount of like, at the time I was reading a huge amount of um, fantasy and science fiction just on my own, because a lot of the stuff that we got assigned, you know, um, <laughs> was so, was so terrible. I sort of a balanced palate cleanser you know it's like go from uh, you know go from this to you know uh, go from a separate piece to the latest douglas adams book or something like that trying to you know trying to keep my, myself both educated and amused at the same time so it was so for for me to get a reading assignment like that was kind of out of the was kind of out of the blue especially since it's such you know since they were such serious serious novels mm-hmm. um but it was interesting it was a, it was definitely a, it was definitely one of those things that I look back on now and I was like, wow, I, am much better off. And I think that one of the things is that, um, you know how Johnny cash did the list for, for Roseanne cash, the list. Yeah. The list Johnny cash did a book, did a, did a uh, list of songs that he gave to uh, Roseanne before, before he passed. And it was a list of all the country songs, you know, that the country and sort of then the folk songs that had inspired him. That's sort of the, the sort of backbone for having a, you know, a sort of being literate in that field. Um, I was blessed because I had people in my life who gave me that list, you know, except they were books you need to, in order for you to be able to function and, you know, in, in this society, these are books that you need to do. You mentioned a couple of them, you know, you mentioned 1984, you mentioned Brave New World. Um, there was, there's books out there that where if you, if you don't manage to engage in them, you know, engage with them, your, your appreciation and understanding of the world around you is greatly diminished. Vonnegut was one of those was one of those authors that I wish I had I, I wish I had engaged in in, in more. Um, I kind of dropped out after Slaughterhouse Five. I didn't read Breakfast of Champions or anything like that, and I po- you know I should probably go back and re- and and read it now. Um,
1: so are you saying just you read Galapagos and Slaughterhouse Five?
0: Yeah, okay. I didn't go back, uh, and but I, I think it was probably because at that time I was I kind of I kind of put a I kind of put a spiral, and it's interesting that we you know. Taught, you know, when you when you mentioned this to me, it kind of, you know, kind of brought back all, a lot of a lot of memories. And also, you know, just so this was actually this was actually a really wonderful project.
1: Yeah. And and that's what I heard. So the next thing, you know, I read that book a while ago and I would break it out occasionally to reread it every now and again. Um, and so I was like, you know, that's that's great. Here's the other funny thing, too, is the, the book came out in 69. Yes. Right. So it was so influential, as we mentioned, it became part of kind of a school curriculum. They were teaching the, the book in schools. Um, this is during the 60s and 70s because it's an anti-war book. And we'll yes. get into the message it, it kind of sends once we start talking about it. Um, but they made it into a movie Yes, that came out in 1972 or 3. And I've seen the movie. Have you seen the movie? No, I have not. I um, Here's the other funny story, too. Because not only do we have the adaptation that came out this year. But they released the movie on Blu-ray this year too. Co- coincidence? Yeah, I, amazing. Yeah, it, it's been out on DVD for a while, and I—that's how I've acquired to see the movie as I purchased the DVD. Um, but I, I just got the Blu-ray this year, so that might be something we both should rewatch again. I haven't seen it for maybe a couple of years.
0: And and that's amazing because if there was ever a year that that people got unstuck in time, it would be 2020.
1: It, well, yeah. It, it Maybe it's maybe it seems that way to some people, uh, but then I was you know reading my Twitter feed, and I follow a lot of comic creators, uh, in my Twitter feed, uh, which is Comics Miz, yes. the Comics Mis- Misremembered uh, Twitter feed. And one of the creators I follow is Ryan North. Now, Ryan North may sound familiar to you if you are a, a comic book reader. Uh, the reason, and the reason I was familiar with him is, um, his first, uh, comic that caught my eye or that I read regularly was the um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Marvel's yes. comic. Um, I thought that that was fantastic. It had a good run. The re- The series ended, much like a lot of Marvel comic series do nowadays. And uh, he has written other uh, comic book series as well since then. Um, but one thing I I found out about Ryan North um, when I was researching this adaptation. So Ryan North is uh, the uh, writer responsible for adaptation of uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. He's the writer, and the artist that helped him is uh, Albert Montes. And I want to talk about both, both of these creators uh, in a moment. But one thing I know I read about Ryan North is another thing that he created is is kind of like one of the first memes that generated through the internet. Do you know about the Dinosaur comic? No. The Dinosaur comic is like this six-panel comic um, it features mostly a T Rex in each of the panels for most of the panels. Like the upper left corner is the first panel, and it's a T Rex saying something. And then there's a the middle panel of the T Rex, and then the third panel to the right is a T Rex almost stepping on a house, and there's another dinosaur in that. And then in the lower left panel, there's a T Rex and another dinosaur of some kind. I forget what kind it is. Then it's the T Rex and a T Rex. And it, he basically kept that as the template. And then people would insert dialogue in it. So he was using it as the template to write his comics. And it would just be a different joke every time he wrote it, it but it would be the same comic. But then people started seeing this and they're like, oh, well, I think I can write a joke. And then people started manipulating the template. And it was like the one of the first kind of memes yeah, that so- it was recognized. And I don't know when that came out. Probably like early 2000s. Wow.
0: And I'm, I somehow I managed to miss that. Huh?
1: I'm going to post probably the first comic he created uh, on the website, so that if you're in, you're not familiar with it, I think it's, this is more of a visual. Like, once you yeah. see it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. You know, I've seen that, the, the giant green Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, so that is something that he is also responsible for creating, which was is very funny. Um, the other creator that's on this book is Albert Montes, and that name may be not as familiar to you. Um, the reason being is that Albert Montes is a... Um, uh, Spanish creator, comic creator, he writes his uh, for his own weekly comic book series, and I, I'm i looking at it right now. El Jueves. El Jueves is uh, the Thursday in Spanish, and um, the book comes out on Wednesday. Okay. So that's the Appropriately. part of the... So you read, you read know, it Thursday. You read it, but you read it on Thursday, I guess. And he has contributed to that for um, a long time. And um, he's also created his own series called Universe, which I guess has been collected and has won, um, was nominated for a 2017 Eisner Award for digital comic uh, back in 2017. But his artwork, so I think that Ryan North and Albert, if there are two people to ever interpret Kurt Vonnegut, these two people are probably the best yeah. suited. Uh North because of his humor. Uh, I again, if you if not if you've not read the unbeatable squirrel girl, um, I highly recommend picking it up. I don't know if they have it fully collected in a trade. I know it's you know collected in multi trades, but I want to get like a one an omnibus and um, an omnibus. Um, I don't know if it's if that's out, but if it is, I'm going to be purchasing that next. And I've been following going back to my original point. I was following Ryan North's um, Twitter feed, and he put out. Hey, everybody. I have a book coming out, and it's called The Slaughterhouse Five. It's the interpretation of, and also known as, or The Children's Crusade. Right. That's the other title for Slaughterhouse Five. And uh, I'm putting it out, and, you know, if you want to purchase it, here's the link. I said, I resp- responded back saying, purchase, bought, because as soon as I clicked on the link, it went to Amazon. I bought it through Amazon, got it a few days later. The book is published by um, Boom Studio, I believe. Uh, yeah boom studios so it it I, you could probably get it through amazon you could probably get it through boom studios as well um i it if you're a fan Slot house 5 definite purchase you want to take a look at this oh, this yeah. this book is fantastic looking um the art style and the way that the story is told uh it it's 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 a great adaptation it's 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 almost as good as the actual book itself you know but the the helpful is that you have the visual medium so you get like more detail about what things look like. So when you talk about the um they're interesting. They're interestingly described by Vonnegut, but that visual gives it a whole new level. So it's true. It's, so
0: it's like some extra-dimensional cousin, you know, cousin it.
1: Well, yeah, we're going to talk about everything as, as we go. Um, so the other interesting thing is. A lot of value. Maybe you've never read *Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, as I mentioned, it came out in 1969. The original book. It had an adaptation of a movie, but that was back in 1973. Um, so, and it's it really not been. I don't think they teach it in schools much anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily required I reading think, anymore. I think
0: that we probably were like the last part of the generation that.
1: Well, like be. I said, I wasn't even taught to me. I had to go yeah. out and look for it and buy it.
0: Well, I'm. Good point. I think it was. It also depended on. I think. I also think it was um, one of those things that kind of got bumped out by some of the other things that were being introduced at the same time. You know, at the same time.
1: No new books come in, so they take other books out, yeah. and that's so it goes. Like you know, Fahrenheit four fifty one is another one. Yeah. That like these are all science fiction books that I wanted to read, but they never taught in my school, and so I had to go and, and buy them
0: as <laughs> this is as a personal aside i will actually i will actually vouch for that this is interesting um one of the things that i remember was one of the things that i did when i was when i was a when i was a in a younger person um, when i was in high school was i remember going um, to the new england young writers conference in at uh, middlebury college the breadloaf writing institute i was one of the people so i was one of like 100 people selected in from like the united states and got actually, actually went to the, and per, per, participated in it. Um, I remember being in one of the writing groups and the person who was speaking with us was a, was a fairly, fairly known writer. Um, and he said one of the things that he noticed as, and, and he said, as I'm, you know, he's like, I stopped writing and I started teaching and he was, you know, he was a little, you know, he's, you know, he's in his fifties. And he said, one of the things that I noticed was even then, this isn't like, this is in the eight, this is in the late 80s, you know, mid mid to late 80s, there was that those sort of critical sort of so, almost scientific, you know, a science fiction, almost, you know, fa- scientific science fiction fantasy was being pushed out by, you know, more, um, more human you know, more hum- humanities based, you know, more experiential novels. So it's, it's interesting that you, it's interesting that you remarked on that. Yep. because because and I also want and also just as a as an aside, I think I had a little different um, reading list because of, as being part of a being part of a public
1: school versus your, you know, your Catholic education. True. So you might have had a slightly,
0: slightly different skew. Well,
1: they didn't want too much science being taught in those Catholic schools. So I had to get my science. I didn't get my science. Well, science and science fiction. I had to get my science fixed outside of school. I so that could be part of the problem or the way that, that we went to school but anyway getting back to Slaughterhouse 5 and what I really like about it and what's interesting to do is is trying to describe to somebody who's never read it before because the, the, one of the concepts of the book is the main character whose name's Billy Pilgrim yes he becomes unstuck in time right and so what does that mean well that means as you read the book he's jumping forward and backwards in time and in explaining why he's jumping forwards and backwards in time. And the reader's trying to kind of comprehend it. Now, this may seem confusing. And what I I, I almost want to describe it as, remember those those choose-your-own-adventure books? Yes. Where um, you would read it, and it'd say, like, you know, you come to a path. And the path, the choice was always go to a or B most of the time, there would be sometimes be a third option. Go to
0: go to page 69 or right. go to page or go to page four.
1: Right. So you would choose either one, and one was usually a bad choice and the other one was a good choice, and the, the story would continue on. That's almost reading Slot House 5 is like reading a choose your own adventure book, except you you just read it starting on page one and you finish it on 150. Just read it straight through. It makes you would think it would make that much sense. <laughs>
0: and let and let me get this, and let me get this also get some clarity on this too because it's not like uh, William Faulkner's stream of consciousness it's definitely there's a, it's a definite narrative it's a it's a different narrative device versus you know different narrative
1: device I should say well the um because of the way that Kurt Vonnegut style is written it's not um disruptive when you when you go from cuz he talks about World War II he talks about this is Billy Pilgrim, of course. Billy Pilgrim talks about World War II and being in World War II and being in a prison camp, and then also he talks about his life with his wife, his new wife, and then he talks about being kidnapped by aliens, and then he talks about the end of his life, Um, and he talks about things in the past and the present, Uh, so he'll talk about things in the future when he's talking about things in the, the present, and then he'll talk about things in the past when he's talking about things in the future. It may sound confusing as hell as the not. way that I'm describing. You're right. It's not. You get really used to it because of Kurt Vonnegut's easy writing style. And you're always prepared for the transition because there's breaks in paragraph when you know he's skipping in time. He'll say, okay, now I'm closing my eyes and I'm traveling and this is where I am now. And it's so easy and you can follow along. Even though he's jumping around, you can follow along. It's The the framework of time travel is... is like very minimally used. He's basically telling a story about his time being in war and how things, as he gets older, things really don't change that much. War still happens. Kids still go to war, which is a shame because, you know, youth gets murdered in war. Right. And it's it could have been used better. That's one of the messages that's being sent. And it, even at the beginning of both the adaptation and the book itself, is Kurt Vonnegut trying to explain to people that I'm trying to write an anti-war book, and he's meeting an old war buddy um, to explain to this old war buddy, I can't remember much about the time in the prison camp because Kurt Vonnegut was really in World War II. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He gets captured, and he's he lives in Dresden in a prison camp doing prison work because you know that's what he did in World captured. War II, and things happened. And he he's an older man now. He's, you know, it's that war the World War II was in like 45, 46, 47. This is 66, 67. And so he's kind of remembering, but he's having trouble remember trying to remember. So he meets a war buddy, and the wife of the, the war buddy is angry at him. And this is the first time he's met his wife. He never met his wife before. And he's like, Why are you angry at me? and she's like cuz you're going to write a war book and you're going to like popularize war and why like, kids should go to war when really they're getting murdered and i don't want my son to be you know read your book and then want to go and join war and he goes no no you I misunderstand i'm writing an anti anti war book and he explains it and then she's like she's loving him and wants to help and so and this is all again both in the comic and in fact that's the reason why he comes up with the subtitle the children's, children's crusade yes the book goes into more about what the Children's Crusade actually is. It's something that exists. It's a horrible thing. Um, exists in the past, that is. But if you really think about wars, who goes to war? I'm asking you. Who, who
0: goes? Usually, usually men. Men. And then, but what, what and, then what ha, and then young men between the ages of, you know, probably 16, 16 and 16, 35.
1: Yeah. Between that kind of like, well, not necessarily Vietnam 35. But if But if you, if you were going to do an average, probably like 23, 24 is kind of like that... That's going to be your sweet spot. For,
0: yeah, for for World War II. but like no, 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 but he, but no, because remember the remember that wonderful um, Paul Hardcastle. The average age of, of the soldier in Vietnam was nineteen.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: So that's yeah. So it's like
1: it was. Always, all wars are fought by young men, right? Exactly. All right. So that's the point I'm trying to say is it's it's a waste because all these lives go out there and not all these lives come back. Okay, so that's kind of the message that you get with it, but that's not the only message. It's like I said, it's layered. Um, and as you go through Billy's life, you encounter different things um, and different aspects of it. So when John and I were talking about like how do you want to talk about the story, because it's it's not a book where you can say it starts off here, it's here's the middle part, um yes. the, the crescendo, and uh, and now here's the, the, the denouement, and then uh, now in the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Even Kurt Vonnegut says that. When he's writing the book, if you're reading the book, kind of the um, climax of the story is a character called Edgar Derby. And his ultimate fate is the climax of the story. And it's almost not like I'm going to say this right up front. There is spoilers, but it's not really spoilers because as you read the book, you find out the fates of characters before they actually happen. Edgar Derby is going to be shot in the book. shot and killed by a firing squad. Now, ultimately, you don't know why he gets shot and killed by a firing squad. Mm. But as you read more about the character, you're thinking, oh, maybe he's going to be her- heroic. He's going to do something to save people. And he gets captured and he gets shot and killed. You know, so, like the great escape. like, yeah. <laughs> But not so much of the escape part. <laughs> more of the great part. Yes. Right. But as you find out, ultimately, his fate, uh, that's kind of like another reason, like, you know, the senselessness of... Uh, war is a, a, thing, a thing that comes out of that right so that's another thing that you pull out of uh Slotter house five now as i mentioned the adaptation f- fantastic like the artwork in this book i always had an idea you know when you read a book what happens when you read a book
0: you you do am- at least as as i was as i was growing up you do a mental play, you do a mental play that goes with it right you have so you just have, you put set, in descriptions in your head so you so yeah you set the scene you put the you put in the characters you envision them and how they look and how they're going to respond then you you know you set the and then you and then you go from scene to scene changing the scenery as necessary you know from location you know the locations and you're doing a whole this is there's a whole mental Movie that you know that the whole vi- the visualization of what you're reading as you as you read as you as it goes along at least that's how I read.
1: No, I think I think everybody does that. I do the same thing. I when as you read it, you um the the book will describe you give to you some parts of what the the characters look like. So in your mind, you have a picture of like this is what the character looks like. Um, and the thing about Kervanigan is this is what I love about him too. He um he only gives you certain descriptions like. And he meets a woman, and she's a pretty woman. And then maybe he'll more a few more sense she has blonde hair, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And then that's it. That's all you you know. She's pretty, and she has blonde hair. So you, <laughs> but so, so you can just fill in the gaps.
0: So in the middle, so you go to you go to your your um your head cannon, your central casting, and pick pick out pretty blonde woman, and just be like, oh, uh, okay. and that's what she
1: looks like. Um, you know, he he's not one of those kind of writers that's going to take five pages to describe one person. He's going to give you whatever the minimal thing you're going to need to have this description of this person, and um, unless it really warrants for him to tell you more, it might be so outlandish that he has to give you more of a description of. The I was character. going
0: to say he's the anti J.R.R. Martin.
1: That's what I was going to say. I see. That's me too. With reading books, is I can't get into books that have like these. Like, I get it. I Like, I read Anne Rice, oh, you know, yeah. and I'm like, I don't care what the pillows feel like and they look, I don't care. I, that's, like, kind of turned me off, like, to because people would, women would come oh. up to me and saying, hey, you should read The Vampire Lestat. Oh, yeah. the, this, this book's fantastic. It's, oh, it's lovely. And I'm like, oh, great. And I start reading. And I'm like, when does this book end? Like, get me out of this book, will you? And then it becomes a hate read because I have to get through it because I'm already halfway into it. Yeah. I didn't get that at all with Slaughterhouse 5. I I devoured that book.
0: It's exactly I think it, it it goes to a whole school of it goes to a whole school of writing, you know, which is which is which isn't exactly it's it's not necessarily minimal minimalist when it comes to this, but it allows the it allows a certain degree of uh your of personal interpretation right. because the ideas are more important. The ideas and characters and are more important than the actual description descriptors. Right. You know who was um uh, for me, it was for me who was the ultimate in that? Was um, even more so than Martin was James Fenimore Cooper. If you've ever had to read Last of the Mohicans or any of those. Oh, other books. Oh yeah,
1: you know something. I, I it's funny you bring that up um, because that was what, Last of the Mohicans was one of the books I read. Yes, and I could not tell you a thing about that book today because I kind of blotted it out of my mind. I didn't. I again, I hate um, multiple multiple descriptors, multi-page descriptors, and I get bored with it easy. And and it's not like I have ADHD. Like no, I can, that's const- my job. <laughs> I can concentrate <laughs> I on something, but but y- 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 if you keep feeding me, it's like I get it. I know what the thing looks like. I don't need any more information. Just get on with the story. You know, I
0: think, and it's it's sort of it's it's interesting because it just you know it feels like a, such an, an, a bloated version of Homeric epithets. You know, because it's like you know it's like Athena, the gray-eyed goddess. You know, it's like Hercules, and it's like the, you know like you're with their descriptors. I'm like. I love that, you know. It's like I could sit there and read, you know, read, you know, Homer for like, you know, like nobody's business, and but
1: well, the, the, the other funny thing too is I like H.P. Lovecraft. We mentioned, oh, yeah. you know, I liked his, I love his writing, and he's another guy that can go on and on. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right I'll get, I'm gonna eventually get there because I, lo- I want to know what the, the well ultimately was gonna happen.
0: Well, I, I think that there was, there's a certain purpose, purposeness, uh, purposeness in it as opposed to. Um, like um, Martin spending five pages talking about mushrooms.
1: Right, exactly. Got now, the other thing that um, the Kurt Vonnegut does, too, this is an interesting thing, and I don't think a lot of writers do it, or maybe they do, and I just haven't re- read a lot of these other writers. Um, but Kurt Vonnegut is one of those guys where he's he's written several books, and in this book specifically, like he's written, he had written four, f- maybe even six books prior to Slaughterhouse-Five. And when he wrote this, there's multiple characters because it's a man's life, so you meet a lot of different characters in it. But a lot of these characters existed in a shared universe with previous books that he had written. Um, So, for example, there's a book called Mother Night, which has a character in in Slaughterhouse-Five, but Mother Night came out prior to Um, Slaughterhouse-Five. Thank You, God, for Mr. Cooper, I think it's called, because there is a character in this book um, named Cooper. uh, Elliot Cooper. Oh No, I'm sorry, not Cooper. Rose, I I think a confusing with something that you said earlier. Elliot Rosewater. Yes. Elliot Rosewater has a really in brief cameo in this book uh, when he's like in um, a psych ward. Yes. You know, the veteran psych ward and he meets Elliot Rosewater. And the um the book's called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. That's what the book's called. And and he's he does this. So like, you know, you'll meet you'll meet and here's the other funny thing too is um concepts like time travel. Right. Becoming unstuck in time. Never explains it in this book, Slaughterhouse-Five, but he goes into great detail about how somebody be, could time travel and become a, stuck in time in the uh, the uh, Players of Titan. Oh, I I'm trying to remember. The, the, the. It's like one of his first books, science fiction books. Um, I didn't read it myself, but I read some of the information about it, mm-hmm. and it talks about time travel. And there's like another character in that book that's in this book as well, like a relative to that character. And of course, one of
0: the most one of the most infamously awesome names, I shouldn't say one of the most awesome names period, not infamous, was uh Kilgore Trout.
1: Kilgore Trout. Yes. The, who uh, makes
0: a cameo in um is it? The, Breakfast, Breakfast of Champions?
1: Champions. And he has more of a, a role in Breakfast of Champions, but he also has a role in other books too. Um like that the, the, you know God bless you, uh Mr. Rosewater, that's he's in that book too. Uh he's in this book briefly. This is one of uh, from the books that I've read that Kilgore Trout is in, I think this is the briefest appearance that he has is in this book. But it, it's more so, like, I like. I didn't read God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, but I've read Breakfast of Champions. I love Breakfast of Champions, and this, he's got a bigger role in that. And that also also turned into a movie, if you didn't know, has Bruce Willis in it. Wow. Uh, I own that movie on DVD. We may have to watch that movie, too.
0: <laughs> we might have to have a, we might have, this might inspire some of us. Yeah. Some of the people, even some of our listeners, to uh, take a- to take a uh, a vonnegut uh, movie, movie, you watch. know, mo- yeah, because remember, we're about to enter the winter season, folks, and who knows what will happen.
1: We'll see w- what's out there. But I just wanted to say that too. He's he's um, you know Stephen King has that shared universe where, yes. like, I was thinking about Castle Rock, like he's um in um in House Five. It's a made-up place where where um, Billy Elliot lives, Ilium. Yes, Ilium. It's a it's a made-up city. It doesn't exist. In uh, Stephen King, he has Castle Rock, which is in Maine, but it doesn't exist. It's not yeah, a place it, in. Maine. It's sort of an
0: it's sort of an archetypal version of that, you know, sort of, of a, a town in yeah, in of a Maine. town in up, you know upstate Maine, yeah. you know, and then just like Ilium is you know somewhere between you know somewhere between Schenectady and like Utica,
1: right? Exactly, or Ithaca or something. Like that. Yeah, and um. The uh, he has characters like Stephen King does the same thing. He has Sheriff Pangborn, which you goes across different. Uh, he because he's the sheriff of Castle Rock, he shows up in books that have Castle Rock in them or as part of the the scene. Uh, so I just want to say that too. It's just like that's another interesting thing uh, that Kurt Vonnegut does. Not a lot of people who write multiple books, uh, like separate books, yeah. not necessarily a trilogy of like you know. I'm not like. Um, Lord of the Rings or something where yeah. the characters, but like he'll write a book and then all of a sudden you're reading another book, which is a totally different book, but it will have like, Hey, there's that character that's from the previous book. How did he just show up one day? It's like, he's on TV talking about something. And Hey, and that was in that previous book. Um, So that was the other thing. So it's a fun read. Kurt Vonnegut is satirical in his style. Um, He's very laid back uh, with his style. And so Ryan North, who is a humorist, I would say yeah. I, would, I would put him in that category of humorist.
0: He's got a he's got a very he's got a very um, wonderful wit.
1: Yes, and where um, Ryan North comes in with this adaptation is it, it talks. About, he has some of the scenes where just like in the book, Kurt Vonnegut's having discussion with his old war buddy, and they're trying to put it together. And then um, the, the the I was going to say the book the adaptation. Jumps right into World War II and meeting all the characters that you're going to meet in World War Two, uh, which is a fi- uh, which is the, a great point, a jumping on point, especially if nobody's knows anything about this book. Right, World War Two is where you're going to spend the majority of the time talking about this book and the characters, and um, the and the movie does the same thing. Movie starts in World War Two, where uh, you have Billy Pilgrim, who is uh, I don't. I think the book, yeah, the book does mention it. Uh, the The adaptation, I should say, the adaptation mentions it. He's a chaplain's assistant, and um, you don't you, you you don't have a lot of details even through the book, like what happened to Billy. Billy is beaten down yes. in, in, when you get to to see him, and as he progresses, he gets even more beaten down as the the time goes on. One of the first people that he meets or that saves him is uh, a person called Roland Weary. Roland Weary is a kind of a mean-spirited type of person. He's one of those people, he'd be the loudest guy at a bar and you wouldn't want to be around him, but he would think, he thinks he's having so much fun that, um, that you, he's, he's like the, that the life of the party.
0: Yeah. He's the, he's the center of his, he's the center of his own party. Right. And he wants to include you in it.
1: Right. And he's always talking and the things that he talks about, he thinks other people are interested in about ways to kill people and weapons and things like that. And, um but nobody's just especially billy billy yeah. billy is almost like a pacifist through this entirety of this book
0: yeah because when you when you meet when you meet billy in the book he's he's an unarmed he's you know he's you know he's can you know he's not like you know every, all these you know and he runs into this patrol yeah and you know they, these are you know these people the, the people in the patrol fancy themselves to be sort of heroes and they're like, Well, we've got, we picked you up. We need to figure out you know, we need to get we're gonna get we're going to safety, you might as well come along.
1: Well, we're gonna take you there because in Roland uh, Weary's mind is he's the hero that I saved this guy. He right. was gonna be killed by the Germans. And I and he's even saying to himself, it's like I'm gonna go back to the real world and I'm gonna go back to America and I am gonna tell these dames about this and they're gonna love me. They're gonna love this stuff. They're gonna look it up and I'm gonna be the, the you know, the popular big man on campus, right? And <laughs> <laughs> but that's not ultimately going to be the fate of Mr. Weary. Um, he's also with these other two guys who are scouts. The scouts really don't do much. Uh, you just, both in the comic and the, the book, they just exist And until they get to the point because Billy's always like falling behind and he's you know, like, I have to rest. Go on without me. He's even telling them that. Yeah, Go on without me. And when every time he rests, which is a popular trope in time travel books that the starting point and the ending point of time travel is somebody goes to sleep, they're unconscious, there's a black period, and then all of a sudden they wake up and it's a different time period, right? If you think about um, The Edge of Tomorrow, the Live, Die, Repeat yep. movie, that's how Tom Cruise's he. The movie starts with him waking up on a helicopter, flying to a base, and he gets to the base and they tell him... Um, Hey, you're you're going to go fight on the front lines. He's like, "No, not me. I'm a he doesn't say that. I'm I'm, I'm I'm a the coward. PR. Yeah, I'm the PR. I'm a coward. I'm not going to be fighting on the front line." So they knock him out and he wakes up in boot camp. So when the movie progresses, he's constantly waking up in boot camp until ultimately he wins. He wakes up back on the helicopter again. He travels so back in time. He's on the helicopter at the beginning of the movie, but it's a different future. This Slaughterhouse 5 does the same thing. Billy's like, okay, I'm going to rest my eyes, and then he rests his eyes and says, I'm waking up, and he tells you where he is, you know, I'm waking up, it's 1968, I'm with my family, um, my daughter is yelling at me because of something I said on the radio, and she's like, why are you telling people, like, again, this book spoils everything for you, why are you telling people on the radio that you were abducted by aliens, you know this is nonsense, this is not nonsense, I was really abducted by aliens. And then he he says I, I my daughter's yelling at me so much I'm gonna go to sleep again and he wakes up and now it's the war I'm dreaming of the war and it goes on and on like that, um, but again it never could isn't I've never found did you, when you read the adaptation yes you didn't find it confusing did no you? and
0: and uh, not, not and also with the, with all, and also the structure of the book itself doesn't is is conducive it is conducive to a, to a concise narrative so it's not like you have to worry about you have to worry about the like you said the jarring this, you know, displacement of time, it's, um, it's, it's interesting because the way that they, the, the, by using the, the, you know, by using sleep as a metaphor for, for travel, for time travel, because, you know, what we, what, you know, what's the standard joke? Oh, let me go try Time travel. Oh, well, you know, like when you fall asleep, oh, what were you doing? Oh, time traveling. You know, because you because you well, were, you always
1: time travel when you fall asleep. That's right. That's exactly you, you go to you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning. You time travel.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's why that's why it's such a great. That's why it's such a great and and fairly, un, you know, and, and and not a jarring, you know, juxtaposition.
1: Exactly. And so we uh, we were talking about Roland Weary. He's not a good guy. Um, so just to set this up real quick. They get captured by the Germans. Yes. The scouts get killed. Roland Weary gets captured. There's a little blonde boy who's very handsome, according to Billy Pilgrim, who likes uh, Mr. Weary's military boots. So the German soldiers tell him, Weary, take off your boots. Hey, I put these clogs on. And um, these, like, Dutch clogs, wooden shoes. Yep. And he has to now live the rest of his days out wearing these wooden shoes. And um, ultimately, this would be his demise because they turned his feet into blood pudding, I believe it was described. Yeah, And they put him on a train and uh, they get separated Billy gets with one compartment weary gets into another compartment and all weary does is complain about this guy named Billy Pilgrim killed me and the, and the people in the car will say to him yeah yeah we know and if you anybody wants to get revenge get revenge on Billy Pilgrim he's the one who killed me you know and they do that over and over again now this gets us introduced to another character another who plays a major role but yes. it's a very a very bit parts this character's name is Paul Lazario. Yes, and Paul is not a good person. Paul is not definitely not a good person. Paul. One of the things that Paul likes is revenge. It's the greatest thing. It's the sweetest thing ever. And you, I'm reading. You know, even when I read the book in my 20s, and even reading the adaptation, Paul always reminds me of a character from another movie. And um, this was a, a military movie made in the 80s. And I'm going to play you a clip. And you tell me if this is not what they base Paul Lozario on. Okay. All right, you ready? Go for it. The name's Francis Sawyer. But everybody calls me Psycho. Any of you guys call me Francis, and I'll kill you. (laughs) You just made the list, buddy. Made the list. And I don't like nobody
0: touching my stuff.
1: Just keep your meat hooks off. If I catch any of you guys in my stuff, I'll kill you. (laughs) Also, I don't like nobody
0: touching me. Now, any of you homos touch me, and I'll kill you. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave that in there. Nice.
1: I apologize about the uh, the the, the uh, words that were yes. used in that clip. This is a uh, you know, but the guy's a bad guy. He would use words like that. Um, but do you know where I pulled that clip from? That's um Brighton. Brighton? No. No. Oh, what? what am I, you what? even use part? You I use, know. I. It stripes. I'm stripes. stripes. Oh, the exactly movie right. Bill Murray stripes. Yeah. Oh, you know when I I've I've saw stripes before. I I read because so, again I read Slaughterhouse 5 much later in my life than I when Stripes came out I saw Stripes and I was like this guy's a, this guy is a psycho and he calls himself psycho then when I read uh, Slaughterhouse 5 I'm like oh Lazario is basically where they came up with the idea Right they just they just repackaged Francis him. psycho yeah. Sawyer Lighten up Francis John always quotes yeah when somebody you know is he's going off what do you say
0: Lighten up, Francis. Yeah. I do. And it's And, and, and it's, I'm like,
1: I can't believe you didn't know the, No, the, I, movie. I just,
0: I'm, you have to understand that there's, there. Were you
1: time traveling, John? I probably
0: was. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I was, I, yeah, brains.
1: But Paul Lazario, getting back to Slaughterhouse 5, is not a good guy. No. One of the things he talks about is somebody touches stuff and he, he killed him. No. Um. One of the things he talks about is a dog bit him. And do yes. you remember what he did to the Absolutely. dog?
0: Absolutely. So this is this is horrific because what he did was he took you know took nail shavings and put no the, no the,
1: he uh, wind up gears from a yeah, clock
0: no. and then uh and then it put it in the it put it in meat and fed the dog.
1: He cut up the gears. He put it in a steak. Gives yep. it to the dog. And the dog's like uh, 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 coughing up blood and, yeah. it, and starts gnawing at his own stomach to stop the pain in his stomach. And he's like, you feel those knives stup- stabbing your stomach? That's me. That's me killing your dog. Like the dog understands what yeah. it is. But Paul Osario is not a good guy. But Paul Osario basically tells Billy Pilgrim, you're going to die by my hand or an assassin that I hire. Because I'm going to. It's easy to hire a guy for a thousand bucks. Just ask the Tiger King, and he to, to to kill somebody for you. And he tells him, well, "If you can hear your bell ring, you might want to think twice before you answer that bell, because it could be me, and I kill you." Um, and that's Paul Lazario.
0: Yeah, he's one of those small bitter men that just, you know, that, that's, you know, that seems to gravitate, you know, towards war. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's sort of the, you know, you know, he's sort of
1: killing the people one, one at a time. Yeah. He takes it,
0: he takes it as a, you know, as a, as a personal, uh, as a personal affront. And also, you know, even though he has no reason to, he has no reason to understand why Billy has, you know, why weary has such a thing for, for, you know, um, you know, for, you know, for, um, Weary had such a thing for Billy, and why why he wanted him dead. But he made it his point to you know honor his memory, even though Weary's is, is a total jerk. And,
1: well, that, yeah, that's that's another part you know, of it.
0: Yeah, he's because he's a, you know because you know Weary you know Weary's a classic you know redneck yahoo. He's you know he's one of those people. One one of the things that I loved about the adaptation is when they when you first meet Weary, he they have um they do a, a how they're dressed. And they have and they have weary with like his entire like army kit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they show you because
1: well, the book describes that. But you're right; it, it yeah, shows you everything that he's wearing. He's so in like, the
0: adaptation, that's a, because the adaptation is even gives you an even better like more visual like about how you know and, and you know and and <laughs> including you know including. Um, you know, not the not a full picture, but also the the infamous picture that he carries around that he you know that he you know that he's constantly showing you know showing people because he's, he's so interested in
1: it. Well, and that's funny too because I was thinking, oh, this was taught as to kids, you know, in in school that you know, weary takes out this picture of of uh, unnatural state of uh, picture. Yes, uh, I'm not going to describe it. You can read the book, and I was like, whoa! And they left, and you know, they actually gave this out to kids, but it's like a small, right, like a, two pages. <laughs> So I can understand, you know, why they did that. Now, the other kind of skipping forward, moving, pushing this forward a little bit, um, the, the, the main reason why I think Vonnegut himself wants to tell this story is he wants to tell the story about the bombing of Dresden. Right. Now, Dresden, if you're not, because you're not familiar. And this is the thing about World War II, which is different than modern day war, is that Anything that happens now is filmed, right, and can be told in an instant through messaging and TV. Yeah, and through
0: in yeah through the through social media, through you know through YouTube, through everything else too.
1: Right. So there were atrocities done during World War II that not a lot of people knew about, and that were kept in military secret, and then wouldn't surface for years later. One of these things is the bombing of Dresden, yeah. and Dresden is a city in Germany, and. The story, I guess the story behind it, that's not necessarily explained 100% in the book, but Vonnegut writes about it because he lived it. He is Billy Pilgrim, essentially. It's semi-autobiographical. Is that he, Drez, the Nazis were were being um, pushed back after the Battle of the Bulge. They were on the run. They were still fighting back. It was going to be hard, but they had the Nazis on the run. They're fighting them on all fronts, and what they think, you know, the Allied forces are thinking, if we can stop their materials being made, like making guns, making planes, anti-aircraft, that sort of things, tanks, um, if we can stop the factories from producing those things and bomb the living crap out of those places, we can stop the Nazis and get this war taken care of too sweet, faster than the conventional way that we're fighting it right now, right. which has already killed thousands of men. So they decided to get it with as much data as they can cuz it's it's going by reports you know this again this isn't like where you can film things and then send them instantly to yeah, no, home base you don't have
0: drone footage of that right. stuff right you
1: can't fly a drone over it they are told that dresden which is i think is like the seventh most populated city in germany at the time um is a military base but it's heavily populated by civilians
0: Right and it's, it's and it's and it was one of the most beautiful cities in the world right. at the time it was I mean, well, yes a lot of culture it was you know it, it would have it was a you know would have ended up as a, you know not you know a UNESCO heritage world heritage site because right. it was that beautiful right
1: and um so they decide uh that we are going to bomb Dresden that and it's going to get multiple strafings too it wasn't like just one bomb We're, like airplanes just the crap out of so, that area
0: if you are familiar with the term carpet bombing yes this is where it started
1: yeah well they yeah i don't think world war ii necessarily is, is all but you're right that's a, the best way to describe it it's it's scorched earth basically because
0: i believe they used a combination of both incendiaries and like norm and like regular bombs too right
1: and part of the story is that um billy pilgrim he's working uh prison labor in Dresden, he kind of enjoys it, though you know it's a nice place. He's treated not too bad, and uh, the sirens go off. And the no, here is like another funny thing about characters. So, because uh, I, I have to, I have to get to my uh, character sheet because uh, there's a character whose name I can't quite remember. Oh yes, Howard W. Campbell. Do you remember this character? Yes. Okay. So Howard Howard W. Campbell is an American born um, person who moves to Nazi Germany when he's 11 and he really digs the, the Nazis. And he's now trying to convert as many Americans he's to Nazism as possible. So he comes in to, to Dresden camp and he starts, um, telling them, he's like, look, I'm wearing a cowboy hat. Yep. I'm an American. I have a Nazi symbol on my arm, but it's not that red and, white and black one that you normally see. No, it's the American flag version of the Nazi it's symbol. The,
0: it's the, uh... It's the blue for the sky, you know, red for the blood of the Patriots and um, white for, of course, for the uh, Aryan freedom. Or for the like for that. the Fs, yeah, for our founders. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, exactly. And so he's he's in front of these guys and he's trying to convert them. And then um, uh, Mr. Edgar Derby steps up to him and he's like, Who, do you guys want to join? And it's yeah. dead silent. And Edgar Derby starts up and he starts giving the speech. About like you know Americans and they're fighting for the freedom. This is they don't something they don't do. And he's he's gonna give this really rousing speech. And you're thinking like, oh, maybe this is where he gets killed, because you know, he gives this rousing speech. And then all of a sudden the, the sirens interrupt him before he can get to the climax of his speech. And they all have to go into the um, the bunkers. Yep. They go in the bunkers and they're like they're terrified because it's like it's nothing like they've had strafings before, but they're like shaking in the bunkers. Whoa and when they get out it's like the uh, uh wasteland yeah. you know that's the best way to describe it and the billy's group uh has to now look for survivors yeah. and they're opening rubble and everybody was in their shelters but not a lot of people had it as good as the shelter that they were in and unfortunately a lot of people perish even in their bomb shelters
0: yeah because of the because the <laughs> because the uh, oxygen was getting sucked out
1: right uh, and it, 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 there's a lot of you know dis- description of that, and this plays a big part because, as we mentioned, not every single story is being told. Right. And Billy, fast forward in time, he's thinking about um, he was in an airplane clash, crash, which um, almost killed him, but killed his father-in-law who he was on the plane with. It's fractured his skull, and uh, puts him in the hospital next to this guy uh, Rumford, I think. Um, I, I, you know, again, there's so many characters in this book. I always forget um, Elliot Rosewater. Rose, no, no, not Rosewater. That that was that was another time when he was in the the psycho hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, no, this, this is um, Rumford. Um, Bertram Copeland Rumford. Rumford is a Harvard professor, and he's writing a book about the things that you don't know about in World War II. Um, Dresden happens to be one of these things. And the guy next to him, he's like, he's talking to his uh, aide. Rumford is. And he's, t- he's like, this guy next to me is a boar. He's like, he's a vegetable. He's not doing anything. And as they're talking about Dresden, um, he all of a sudden, Billy starts piping up, and he's like, I, was, I was in Dresden. And he's like, no, you weren't. And he starts talking to his aid He says, yes, I was. I was in Dresden. And he starts telling him the details about Dresden. And he's like, this guy really was in Dresden. And it helps him to write his book um, and, and get the story out about the atrocities that happened at Dresden. Um, but it, and in turn, I mean, this is also how Vonnegut himself gets the story out about Dresden, you know, that like, here's another story, a personal uh, account. And that's the reason why he has to meet his friend to kind of get that personal information out there. So again, another reason why um, war is terrible. War, war leads to very bad, very bad things. Um, and it, it, it skips back and forth again. Now, kind of like getting to the end of this podcast. I w- I was going to say do we want to keep do it as two parts or do we want to do it as one part? Cuz we usually like to keep it around an hour. Yeah. Uh and we're getting kind of close to the hour mark at this point. So I'm I'm going to kind of sum it sum it up. Um Billy does get ada- uh kidnapped by aliens, Yes. right? And the Tralfalmadorians. I know I'm saying I'm saying that wrong. That's that's um probably the uh not correct way of saying that alien group's name but
0: uh, Tralfalmadorians.
1: I, I said that right right okay well Tralfalmadorians are um psychic aliens that look like uh plumbers helpers that have like a hand where their head's supposed to be and they have one eye uh that's the best way you can describe yeah. them. and they meet they they take billy and um they they say they want to study billy this is what they do they get people from different races and they study them and um billy's and because they go through a time warp, he doesn't miss any time on Earth. It's that, that yeah. whole, you know, th- the- uh, relativity where, like, they go through the time warp and he spends, like, months and years in uh, Trial Falmador. And when he comes back, he's, like, right where he started. And he's telling everybody, I was abducted by aliens. And what he finds out about the Trial is they also time travel, like, they live their life all yeah. at once they see how the they start they see how their life ends and they see all points in between
0: and humanity fascinates them for one reason and that is because in all of their you know in all of their ex- explorations they've there's and all the races that they have met human beings are the only people who believe in one central concept which is the concept of free will right and this fascinates them right um it's funny because when they capture when they capture billy they they um he asked for something to read and they give and he give they give them he gives them one of their they give them one of their um books books and it's all you know and it's like and it was one of the you know it was this you know soothing sort of set you know but um they were just it was just pictures that ha- that that made you feel all these different emotions and that you, you know that were some uh, that were all linked together yes so and of course the, what they realized was that they wanted of course they wanted to study so of so and uh the whole the whole experience of having a um you know, a human, you know, a human experience included. And so they, um, they, they, they also, um, kidnap a famous, uh, actress,
1: actress, a quote unquote actress. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's funny about like, um, your adaptation, what version you're wearing, you're reading, but essentially she's I would say she's an adult actress. Um, or
0: more like a Betty page, you know, sort of like maybe yeah, a yeah. model, but
1: but she's, she's not mainstream the yeah. way that she got her fame. And the, it's what happens is, is is as you're going to uh, what you're elaborating towards is Billy gets put into a um, like a zoo, right? And it's it's a it's a open domed zoo. He can't escape the dome because the air outside the dome is cyanide. That's what these guys breathe, for. so or something of that nature, it's yeah. a, some kind of poison. So he has to stay in the dome, and he's naked all the time. They don't give him clothes because they want just like in a zoo, you monitor the person in their natural state, and he has um. Like a, a TV that doesn't work, uh a um a lounger, a bed so he can sleep. And these were all stolen from Sears and Roebuck, which <laughs> was a, a thing back in the day. Uh and so he they want to see how humans mate in the wild. Um so they he's he had, they know his thoughts and he's thinking about somebody who he's seen and they give him uh Montana Wild Hack. Yes. In the movie, Montana Wildhack is a Playboy playmate. He's his, his son. Yeah. His son has the book. He takes it from the book and he looks at it. And he's like, "Hey, you know, she's not too shabby." The the book the the actual book and the adaptation much different. Uh, yes, the role for uh, Montana Wildhack, and um, and so he gets to uh, mate with Montana so that they could see how humans procreate. All right it's a funny thing. It's, it's a funny part of the book too. Yeah, this and, whole book is funny. This is one of the really funny moments.
0: And there's also this, but there's a sweetness to it too, because they one of the things that, that uh, Montana real is gets to realize is, you know, she's going back because they're having this life here is that, you know, she, uh, she'll actually, she actually calls Billy out for his, um his whole thing about, uh, you know, him getting unstuck in time where mm-hmm. she understands, she now understands this concept too. Yeah. So, so she's, you know, and, and because I, I'm because, you know, just, and it's, their interaction, their interaction is actually, and especially in the adaptation, is really sweet, and and kind of and kind of just you know just and just I was just thinking about how just th- thinking about how prof- profound it is we you know where you have where you have these beings who don't believe in free will and yet here Billy is he's he's actually the sort of almost the epitome of it because. You know, because there are times when he knows what's going on, but he's, st- you know, he has these ideas about where he is going to be, but he still makes the same choices.
1: Well, and that's because the Trial tell him this. So the Trial say, he, he, he asked them, I notice you guys really don't have war on this planet. but We have war all the time where we come from. How is it that you don't have war? And they're like, we can't explain it to you. And they're like, well, what do you mean? This is because you don't have the same uh, philosophy about life as we do. You feel that you make choices and these choices lead and it's always that path has always been chosen for you. It's it's not that you 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 went from A to B because of the choices you made, you're always going to get from A to B. So it's like um there's there's no uh he's fated to live this life. There is no free will, you're fated to, to be whatever the thing it is at the end. That's what travel filmadorians believe. Yeah. They're like, we can see the way that we're gonna live our life, so there's why bother changing it. I um I'm going to be born. I'm going to live, I'm going to die, uh, and this is the date I die. And he says, well, because you know what you're going to do, can't you change it? He goes, no, I've always lived this way. I've always been born. I've always lived. I've always died. This cannot change. And um, they talk about war. He says, yes, we do have war, but we know when the war is going to happen. We know when the war is going to end. And what we do is we focus on the more happy times than we do on the sad times. And maybe that's why it seems like we have less war than you. We do have war. But and then he goes, well, you know, what what about like, you know, you know, ultimate peace and things like that? He goes, well, we also know that the world's going to end, that we're going to cause the world to end. Like we're going to experiment with some jet fuel and it ignites the galaxy and it blows up the universe. (laughs) And they say, well, can't you stop it? And just, no, it's always happened. It's going to happen. It will happen. This is how we see things and we see everything in the fourth dimension. So it's that whole thing. I don't know what. Kill uh, Kilgore. I was going to call him Kilgore Trout. Kurt Vonnegut yes. is is trying to explain. I you know again. I think it's it's more of like people like ah we want to stop wars, but wars have always existed. Wars will always be. Um, it's not about trying to stop the wars, but maybe try to minimize them. I don't know if this is what he's trying to right. say the, to people.
0: The idea is that the idea isn't that to that you you can some, somehow manage to eliminate them but by being more present and, and live and enjoying the time that you have between, you know, between the bad times, yeah. Between the bad times that, right. you know, that this is, that, that those are the things that make us human. And those are the things that, you know, those are the things that matter. And as, as these periods go longer and longer, the difference, you know, our, our differences, you know, the differences shrink.
1: Right. Uh, and so the, you know, that's another aspect of the, the book, and ultimately, Billy tells you about his final fate um, as because he, again, he's like the trial of where he can go back and forth in time, his entirety of his timeline. And he talks about, I know when I'm going to die and I've accepted my fate. I'm going to go to Chicago. And in the book, both the adaptation and the book, but not necessarily in the movie, the United States has been broken down into like 20 parts. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. All of a sudden, I got my mouth got really dry has been broken down into... In, in, order, in order to not make any more wars in the world, they've been broken down into 20 separate governments or something like that. Or maybe even 200. I can't remember the number. And Billy has um spreading this philosophy about like time and being unstuck in time. And he's a, he's in um, a, a baseball stadium filled with people. And he's at his podium. And he says, I tell everybody that this is the point where I die. This is where my life ends. And the police are trying to protect me. And I'm like, don't bother. I've accepted it. This is... I'm going to die. There's a man named Paul Lazario who's going to ultimately kill me with a laser beam. And this is like 1972. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, like, because this book was written in 69. When do you think we were going to get laser beams in like a few years? And I'm going to get shot and killed by a laser beam by this uh, by this meanie man, uh, Paul Lazario, And my life is going to end. So don't feel bad for me. Feel good. Be happy. Yes. Hello, goodbye. Hello, goodbye. That's how he ends. And he and he dies and he gets shot. No, that's not the end. Of, this happens in the middle of the book. Right. You know, this and then the the he time travels again because he even though he has died, he still lives on. Right. Because he jumps back to the past. He even tries to spread this philosophy. He meets a little he, his uh, profession when he's older is optometrist. That's right. And he has a little boy named Billy and he's checking his eyes and, and he finds out that his father was killed in Vietnam. Um, and he says, well, don't worry, Billy, your diet's still alive. You can still see him. He still exists in the past, so you'll have memories of him, and you can see him anytime you want. And his parent, and his mother's almost like, "What are you tr- kind of crap? Are you filling my my son's head with?" And he's basically trying to say, like, you know, as long as somebody can remember who you are, you 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 live never forever, truly die. Like, yeah, yeah,
0: it's yeah, that's that's you know, it's a it's a it's a interesting variation on the Viking credo. Right.
1: It, do you want to go into that or? Well,
0: the the know? idea is that. Um, you know that, and you know it's like you. Know, it's the the by your deeds and by your memory, by your by the songs that they sing of you, you can never truly be forgotten. And because you be because and you belong to the ages, you sort of you step outside of time at that point because you because you become one with your lineage, and your lineage goes back to goes back from the beginning. You know, back to the beginning, and then forward to the to the end. Right. So you're always, so it's a matter, so once again, it's a very, it's a, it's an interesting variation on that, which is, you know, once again, being unstuck, not necessarily because, you know, by, you know, being unstuck in time because you're, because the idea, one of, this is one of the things, this is the reason why um, I, this was recommended to me by my philosophy professor, mm-hmm. my, my philosophy teacher, you should say, was that he said, one of the things that I always expressed was I always feel like in some ways that I'm I've experiencing all the things that have happened in my life simultaneously that, you know, it's like, I don't know where I, I don't always feel like I know where I am because I, I don't know how old I am at any given point because I don't, because I, even though I have a chronological age, I can slide back and forth on, on, on the spectrum from how I was, you know, from anywhere from being a little kid.
1: Is your philosophy teacher Billy Pilgrim?
0: No, oh, I okay. wish he had been. He was Paul Sorantos. <laughs> And he was a damn guy, a damn good guy. I hope he, I don't know whether he's passed, but I don't think he so. He
1: would be able to tell you. He'd be able to give you the date where he passed.
0: Uh, yeah, if he was. But he, yeah. So, he, so it was, and that was with, and that was, and that's one of the reasons why I was, you know, when you said that, I was like, oh, this is such a great idea.
1: Right. So um, I'm glad that uh, Ryan North and Albert Montes um, put this book out. A fantastic read. I cannot recommend this more highly. Um, we
0: probably uh, could do, an, we could probably do another, we could probably do another episode, but know, one of the things, you that know, that
1: something we, I, I think we covered, like, cause I want to leave some of this, especially if you've never uh, read it, I want to leave some uh, yeah, of the surprises. In I was going to
0: say one of the, one of the great joys is that it's visually beautiful. Um, the organization, you know, like the organization of the, of the events, you know, it shouldn't, you know, don't, don't let that scare you. Um, there's a whole lot of, about Billy that's worth knowing. And this is so. Hopefully, uh, we've done a good job, and you know, to kind of pique your interest, and hopefully, get you to engage in it in whichever forms you choose.
1: Yeah, this, this and this book is very engrossing because I, I, even said to John, "I was like, I, I'm gonna read like two pages of this. I'm gonna read like uh, like three pages into this, and I read half the book in one setting, and then and and then the next night I read the other half of yeah. the book, and I, it's I think anybody once you start looking at the the, the art, the artwork and then you you know you start really getting the humor of the writing um it's going to draw you in you're going to you not put this but this is going to be a page turner for yeah, you yeah it's
0: it is it's it's one of the most it's one of the most enjoyable reads that we've we've been recommending especially after our whole um, everything sucks and is apocryphal uh, <laughs> victory tour that we did earlier this year.
1: Oh, that's right. the the the, min- the many dystopian futures yes. uh, that we we covered uh, a few months
0: back. It, this isn't. This is an interesting. This is sort of an interesting palate cleanser for that because it allows. Because in in Vonnegut's in Vonnegut's world, you, nothing's really totally settled. You know, it's like you don't. You know, Billy. You you don't know whether Billy ever manages to make. You know, manages to change the world with his with his thoughts. You know, and well, he has some influence on it. He You're yeah, right. But I mean, you. but the whole point is that just by by engaging in it, it's that's part of that's part of what makes life so good. There's a there's a wonderful scene where he's, you know, where he's right. And, you know, he's in he's and he's been captured after he's been captured and he's just sitting in the sun and he's just in a, he's that moment of peace. Right. This book is that moment of peace because it because it gives you that whole sense of like, you know, there's after you after you get after you get done with it you feel, I, I, you feel, actually feel better. This is one of the few times that I've been able to say, you know, in the last little while, I'm like, yeah, why don't you, you know, it's some, something dark and it's something, something dark and deals with some pretty, pretty grim stuff. But at the end you end up, I I don't know, maybe it's just me. I felt much more, ho- much more hopeful, you know, after reading this, just, just, you know, as a reminder, which is a lot of this, you know, because I, you know, just as a reminder, nothing
1: is written in stone. You, that is true. It's, you, it's a good book. It's a good read. It, you know, it, it's not on a lot of uh, uh, school um, curriculum these days, curriculums. Sure. And uh, I recommend, like, if if you read this book, this adaptation, it's like reading the book. Yeah. I mean, it's very faithful to the actual book itself. So if you read the adaptation, you could say, I read Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. And um, because everything that you, it, it, the story is a. The way that the pace of the story goes is, is not quite chronologically lined up with the book, but that's okay, you know?
0: Because it's unstuck in time.
1: It's unstuck in time, too. Like, nobody's going to, like, call you on and it's like, oh you read the adaptation. Um, No, it's, it's very good. So, highly recommend. We both highly recommend buying this book and checking it out. And uh, this is going to conclude the Comics Misremembered podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for listening uh, to it and hearing all the movie recommendations that we've put out this week. Um, That would be Stripes, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, Breakfast of Champions. Um, We recommend the the books of Kurt Vonnegut if you've never read any of them. Uh, Check them out and read this adaptation by Ryan North and Albert Montes. Pick it up by Boom Studios. And as always, you can hear our podcast at comicsmisremembered.com. That's where you get all the links to the podcast itself. And if you click on the link to Anchor, you're going to get all the other um, subsidiaries that we go through to distribute the podcast. Through. So thanks again for listening this week, and we will see you in seven.